are losing their authority over their children like never before. Children separated from the parents at the Mexican border, bad, bad, bad. Children separated from their parents because they are transgender, that's really, really, really good. How cultural messaging that we are living with today has been shaped by an iconic pediatrician of the last century. You gotta know where it comes from, friend. Plus a deep end follow-up, the DOJ is now threatening anyone who exposes the sex change surgeries Boston Children's Hospital is offering to minors. Yes, minors. And finally, some really, really good news. That's 40 years too late. It's your favorite night of the week, The Deep End on Tim Hatch Live. The Deep End. Yes, welcome in, everybody. It is the deep end. It is 7.30 at night on Tuesday, and I would love it if you would just do me that favor of liking the video and subscribing and making sure you click the notification bell so that you can get notified on your smartphone. Your smartphone is smart enough to tell you when we're live if you click that notification bell. Welcome into the deep end, 7.30, Tuesday nights, and I am your host, Tim Hatch, and you are on YouTube.com slash Tim Hatch Live. It is season six, episode four of the deep end, where we talk about the things that you shouldn't talk about, religion and politics. And I was waking up this morning with a thought. I, you ever just wake up with a thought and you think, why, why am I thinking that thought? Well, here's the thought. I woke up with this idea. There are so many voices in the world. There are so many voices in the world. Am I one of the voices worth listening to? Now, I don't know if it was insecurity. I don't know if I was stressed about the deep end. I don't really get stressed about this show. I really enjoy the show. But nonetheless, I had this just this, just a recurring thought in my head. Am I worth listening to? Now, before you put in the comments, of course you are, Pastor. We love you. You are amazing. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know, I know. I know. I'm amazing. Because God is good to me. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, the thought that I had, am I worth listening to, was because I desperately want to make sure that you are listening to the right voices. If you think about it, you're going to hear every day of your life, endless opinions, ideas, thoughts, conjecture from thousands of different people, places, and things that are influenced by thousands of other people, places, and things. And you've got to learn if you're listening to the right voices, because if you're not listening to the right voices, it's going to hurt you. It's going to destroy you. And that's really the ultimate question of every day of your life. Who am I going to listen to? And I want to do a quick deep end news segment and then a deep endopedia that tie together this very important question. First, deep end news. Deep, 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 deep end news. The news you choose if you could choose news. So yeah, yeah. Remember the outrage over children separated from their parents at the Mexican border? It was a, a Trump uh, action that was actually just, um, you know, following the law that was put in place under the Ob Obama administration. And then they just didn't like Trump, so they blamed him for Obama's rule. Remember that? Children separated from their parents. Bad. But children separated from their parents because they're transgender. Good. Like, this is the voice of the modern age. Your kid is transgender. You don't appreciate it. Well, we're taking your kid from you. That's where we are. I bring you to the Federalist for the curious case of Jeanette Cooper and her daughter, Sophia Cooper. The title of the article, Chicago mom forbidden, forbidden to see teen daughter after refusing to pretend she's the opposite sex. And here's what the article says. Jeanette Cooper. Sorry. Jeanette Cooper, yeah. A mom in Chicago has missed her daughter's 13th, 14th, and 15th birthdays. She doesn't get to be there as her daughter is learning to drive. In fact, she has only seen Sophia for eight and a half hours in the last three years. That's because Cooper lost custody of her daughter after refusing to go along with Sophia's belief that she is, in fact, transgender. Uh, when Sophia was 12, Cooper went, up to went to pick her up from her custodial visit at her father's house, but her daughter refused to come home. Cooper learned that Sophia, whom the mother had always come across as more feminine than herself, Cooper, now identified as transgender and felt unsafe to be around her mom. How sad is that? The article goes on. Cooper wouldn't lie. This is this is the, the linchpin of her predicament. She wouldn't lie and say that her daughter was not a girl. 
They want me, this is her speaking, they want me to have a certain understanding that there is such a thing as a child who is born transgender and this is who they are. I do not believe that to be true. I will not lie to the court. I will not state otherwise. I believe too strongly in my oath to tell the truth. Then she says this, people who are imprisoned have more communication with their children than I do. And that's wrong. Even with almost no contact with her daughter, Cooper said she's still parenting. Quote, I see that my child is at sea in a boat. She is struggling. She is in a tumultuous sea. What I have been told is to follow her lead, to follow her in this journey. I am not willing to do that. I don't think it is good parenting. It's my responsibility not to hook my boat to hers. It's my responsibility to be a lighthouse, to be something stable that she can see. Cooper's not alone. Parents across the country, uh, and there's a link there in the article, you can click on it, have faced custody battles after refusing to go along with a child's belief that they are transgender. I'm sad to say, Cooper said, that this could happen to anyone. How do we get here? How do we get to the point where we literally have an institutional system that separates parents from their children based on the feelings of the child? And the child can be 13 years old and just decide, this is who I am, and if you disagree with me, then the state is gonna step in and take you away from me. And because, because I feel quote unquote unsafe. Oh, I hate that word safe. Uh, <laughs> safe has become a four letter word for me. But anyway, the question, the question that I have for all of us, and you probably have too, is how the flip did we get here? Honestly, what is going on? And I wanna offer you a deep end hypothesis. I wanna offer you a suggestion, okay? Is my voice worth listening to? You can make that determination as we go along in this content. But here's my hypothesis tonight. We eased up on the kiddos. That's how we got here. We eased up on things like discipline, on strictness, on being uh, people, parents, on being uh, authority figures in the home. And we just taught kids that, you know what? Whatever you feel must be real. And if you are that, then I will go along with it because after all, I am not here to tell you what to do. You are here to tell me what you're going to do and I'm here to celebrate that. That's how we got here. And you say, well, how did he get to that point? Because that's awfully depressing. And that might define your parenting. That might define your household. That might define somebody that you know your household is or, or their household is all built around what the kids want, what the kids need, what the kids feel. And we're going to celebrate that. We're going to rally around that. We're going to have uh, gender reveal parties for a six-year-old who suddenly decides that they are the opposite gender. Like literally, that is what happens right now in America 2022. Well, how do we get here? I want to submit a hypothesis. We let the kids off the hook. We gave them no authority, no rules. And it all stems from a book written way back in the last century by a very, very popular and prominent pediatrician. Let's do a deep endopedia and talk about him. I submit to you that Dr. Spock is the father of the Feel Good Kids movement. Feel Good Kids Movement. Dr. Spock, Benjamin Spock, was born, and by the way, some of you are thinking Dr. Spock, was he from Star Trek? No, 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 no. Before there was uh, uh, Spock on Star Trek, there was Dr. Benjamin Spock from Connecticut, born in 1903, who received his medical degree in 1929 from Columbia, uh, and then he went and trained for six years at the New York Psychoanalytic Institute. He practiced pediatrics in New York City while teaching um, the subject at Cornell University Medical College from 1933 to 1947. And as he observed children under his pediatric care, he decided to one day sit down and write a book. And the book was called The Common Book of Baby and Child Care. It became a bestseller, topping out at 50 million copies sold by the time of Spock's death with several uh, rewrites and re publishings along the way. He died in 1998, and the story of his life is what we're going to give you here on The Deep End because you need to know where we come from, and you need to know how his voice shaped your reality, whether or not 
you believe it. It is true. It has shaped your reality. Spock wrote this book to counteract the rigid pediatric pediatric, sorry, pediatric doctrines of his day, which emphasized um, things like strict feeding schedules for infants and discouraged open displays of affection between parent and child. And there were doctors that came before him that advocated for that kind of parenting. And so he came and kind of reactionarily kind of react reacted to that, you know, far extreme and brought it all the way over to the other extreme. So um, the book of common, uh, the, the common book of baby and child care, first line of the book, quote, trust yourself. You know more than you think you do. Man, if there is ever a appealing sentiment to 21st century America in the 20th century of America, I cannot think of a better line. Trust yourself is all about what you feel, what you think you can do. And you got to know that you got what it takes, right? And then he later admitted that his book was not based on scientific experiment or tests with children and parents, but really just came out of his own head. Literally, a quote from him, the book really came out of my own head. Uh, it, the book stressed the importance of listening to children and appreciating their individual differences and encouraged parents to raise each child as an individual. He has a whole chapter called The One-Year-Old in which he encourages parents to rearrange the furniture of their house for the child that's prone to, quote, wander and explore. So here it is, the parents have to rearrange their home for the kid who wants to go and do things that he probably shouldn't do, touch things he probably shouldn't touch. And rather than restrict the child, he taught, no, 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 ease up and reshape your whole house for the sake of the child. By the way, he also advocated for prone sleeping. That is putting the baby on their stomach to sleep. The widespread belief was that if you put them on their back, they will vomit in their mouth and choke and die. Uh, no, the actual opposite is true. If you put them on their stomach, they will suffocate. And it led to a SIDS outbreak, sudden infantile death syndrome outbreak in America cost many Americans and Europeans uh, their children's lives. And then he also believed, and this is not on the screen, but he also believed that circumcision, a very biblical value, um, was traumatic for males. Now I say biblical value, I know. It's Old Covenant. It's not necessarily in the New Covenant. But there are arguments about whether it's good or bad have been going back and forth over the course of human history. I go with the Bible. If God told Abraham to circumcise a child, man, maybe it might have some health benefits. Anyway, uh, oh, by the way, there's also a whole host of scientific studies about how the amount of coagulant in the blood uh, spikes on the eighth day of the child's life, which lends to the circumcision healing at the precise time that you actually did it because God told Abraham to circumcise his child on the eighth day and every Jew since has done that. But nonetheless, let's get back to Dr. Spock. Um, some other important facts about Dr. Spock that you might need to know. Uh, his first wife uh, became a uh, paranoid schizophrenic. She actually helped him write the book uh, she eventually had a nervous breakdown. She was hospitalized for six months, and then she was diagnosed as parano paranoid schizophrenic. Uh, he became famous. She became a mad housewife. This is uh, from someone reporting. He, uh, she became addicted to alcohol and tranquilizers and, and then prone to denouncing her husband at parties, viciously like making fun of him in front of other people. So they did not exactly have the perfect marriage. In fact, he divorced and later married a woman 41 years younger than him. Okay, I think he was like 73 and she was 32, like 41 years younger. Their two sons suffered as a result of their uh, behavior and their uh, actual lifestyle. Uh, John, his son, later denounced his father, told the world that his father made him feel judged, criticized, scared, beaten down. Now, politically, uh, Dr. Benjamin Spock's views matter as well. He protested the Vietnam War. That's not really the big thing, but he was tried and convicted 
it was later overturned, for counseling draft evasions during the Vietnam War. And then in 1972, Spock ran for election as president uh, for the People's Party. This is a socialist party whose platform included free medical care, a guaranteed minimum wage. So Yang Gang, think Yang Gang there. The discrimination, I'm sorry, the decriminalization of abortion, homosexuality, and marijuana. So you could say that he was way ahead of the curve of the social trajectory of America back in 1972. I mean, they didn't even have a prayer against uh, uh, Richard Nixon in 1972. He won in a landslide, but nonetheless, that was his philosophy, his political leanings. And that, by the way, that tells you a lot. That tells you all you need to know. Anyone, listen to me, anyone who believes that everyone should get something for nothing is lying. They're lying on two accounts. Number one, nothing is really free. Someone's always paying for it. But number two, it's a danger to society because good societies are built on, dare to think, personal responsibility. <laughs> uh, a direct quote from his 73-year-old self. This is, he said this when he was 73. Okay, imagine your 73-year-old grandpa saying this. Quote, I love to dance in order to liberate myself from my puritanical upbringing. Okay, if you're 73 years old and you're still thinking about that stuff, you got some hangups up in your head. Uh, interesting childhood story from Dr. Spock. His own mother's choice of punishment was to put the child in a dark closet. Uh, that is unthinkable, honestly. One time she forgot one of her kids in the closet and went away to New York. They lived in New Haven, Connecticut, mind you. Spock wanted to uh, see this kind of banishment, uh, this kind of punishment stopped. Nevertheless, Spock's influence on American families was profound. Again, his book became a bestseller. It sold like 750,000. 750,000 copies every year for like several years in a row. And he actually became afraid that all of the publicity would eventually lead to lawsuits if his parenting advice did not lead to the success that parents expected. But Look Magazine in 1959 said, perhaps no other person has so influenced, an so influenced the entire nation's ideas about babies. His views have brought naturalness, common sense, reassurance, Sigmund Freud, good Lord, and even joy to parents all over the world. That's 1959, a very popular magazine called Look Magazine. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, always be aware of who the world is praising in the moment. Like always be aware of who the world is praising in the moment. You, you've got to be careful of who the world is praising in the moment that they are praising them. <laughs> if you're listening only, it's because I'm putting somebody on the screen that you need to be aware of that the world is praising in the moment and the future will determine whether that person provided good or evil for society. Like, like we judge presidents so wrongly in this country. We, we, ju we judge uh, political leaders so wrongly. Like, we can judge their views, but their contribution can only be judged over the course of human history following them. Like, who is really right? right? Who, Woodrow Wilson was a very popular president at his time, but... But the argument could be made that he reshaped the federal government in ways that are unhealthy to this day. Uh, you, could, could, you could make the, the argument that maybe FDR winning the third term was not the best option for America going forward. So they're, 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 you, you, we tend to think, president's doing what I like. He's giving me free money. You know, he's handing me things right now. He's, he's what our president is doing. He's selling our strategic oil reserve to China for money. And he's also dwindling our strategic oil reserve so that gas prices have come down 80 cents and everything's, oh, good job. Good job. But the future, okay, what we were constantly in the moment people and the future always determines the legacy of the contributions of the individual. And Dr. Spock, history is not so kind 
to his views. Um, he got crazy toward the end of his life. He remarried, like I said, a woman 41 years his younger, and she was a cray-cray, I'm telling you. She led him into this weird dieting habit and it actually ended up influencing future uh, rewrites of his book on parenting. An article from the Chicago Tribune, 1998, uh, details Spock's counsel for parents concerning extreme dietary guidance. The article is Dr. Spock's Irresponsible Legacy, written by Joan Beck. He wrote in a later edition of his book, I no longer recommend dairy products after the age of two. Other calcium sources offer many advantages that dairy products do not have. He also said that children should not be permitted to have coffee, which I agree with, tea, Coca-Cola, which is fine, but also no chocolate. <laughs> no chocolate for a kid? Like, what kind of a monster? Anyway, the book recommends substituting teas made from grains or herbs, ju fruit juice, and soy and rice milk products instead of milk. Hello, my goodness, this guy was way ahead of the time. It's like he had a crystal ball and he could see where the country was going, and he held those views back when they weren't popular, but his views have reshaped us in ways that have been detrimental to us. We'll get to that in just a moment. But quote, he wrote, children can get plenty of protein from beans, grains, and vegetables. And when they do, they avoid the animal fat and cholesterol found in meats. Uh, again, these are later editions, but where, where did they come from? What happened that made Spock suddenly change his views on how to feed children? Well, again, when you marry somebody that's four decades younger than you, <laughs> she can have a hold on you. So this article writes, says, unfortunately, Spock's book is vague about the scientific backing. Once again, no scientific research for what he pronounces. So vague about the scientific backing for his radical advice to parents about their children's nutrition, although it's easy to find enthusiastic vegetarians. It is true that many American children tend to eat too much fat and sugar and that meat and eggs can contribute to high cholesterol. But the new age enthusiasms of Spock's second wife, Mary, whom he married when he was 73 and she was 32, may have been a determining factor in why the book was changed. Mary, his second wife, led Spock, a prominent Vietnam War protester and leftist political activist in a new age direction. And the two of them, listen to this, practiced uh, Kundalini yoga, Sanskrit chanting, meditation, siatsu, massage, and macrobiotic cooking. Quote, slowly, Spock relinquished control of his life to Mary to preserve her husband's health. Mary supervised virtually every move and arranged for macrobiotic foods to be shipped to them no matter where they went. And then Spock also endured a lot of blame for the post-1960s America. Remember, he wrote his book in 1946. So the children that were raised in the 1940s and 1950s became the teens of the 1960s. And the 1960s was filled with an entire generation of youth with no restraint and rebellion that seemingly came out of nowhere. This garnered Dr. Benjamin Spock a ton of Jerry Falwell sort of critiques. <laughs> Jerry Falwell wearing my Liberty shirt today because I just dropped my child off there. But anyway, articles like this one from a retired pastor, uh, professional counselor and talk show host named Reb Bradley pins all the failures of the last century on Dr. Benjamin Spock. The title of the article is How Dr. Spock is Destroying America. Now, these are the points that Reb Bradley makes. Like since 1960, the rate of violent crime has more than tripled because again, when you give kids no restraints, they tend to follow through on no restraints. One out of every four teenage girls now has a sexually transmitted disease. In fact, the last five decades has seen the number of distinct STDs rise from five to more than 50. And then Stock, and this is Spock, sorry, I don't want to say Stock. Spock admitted to the New York Times the first edition of his child-rearing book had contributed to an increase of permissive parenting in America. He said, quote, parents began to be afraid to impose on the child in any way, end quote. This led to a rewrite in 1957, which really did not have the same impact as the original copy of the book. 
back to Reb Bradley, he says, instead of stressing the importance of teaching self-denial and res- respect for authority, Spock emphasized accommodating children's feelings and catering to their preferences. And this is not on the screen, but he writes, no longer did children learn that they could endure Brussels sprouts and suffer through daily chores. Using Spock's approach, parents began to f- feed self-indulgence instead of instilling self-control. Homes were becoming less parent-directed, more child-centered as parents elevated children's freedom of expression and natural cravings. Children became more outspoken, defiant, and demanding of gratification. In fact, they, they came to view the gratification as a right. Man, this, by the way, this article was written in 2010. Kind of spot on. In a New York Times uh, interview, Spock said that he would be proud of his book, uh, leading to the idealism and militancy of youth today. But look at this last one here. Is it any surprise that Spock participated with teenagers in protests and was arrested multiple times in the 1960s because of his contempt for governmental authority? And was it any more of a surprise when he entered the 1972 presidential race as a candidate for the Socialist People's Party? His political actions revealed the underlying philosophy of his book. Now, this is a mouthful, but it's true that this guy literally did reshape a generation and and marched lockstep with them. Again, back to the New York Times uh, article. This article saying, Dr. Spock as a father, no Molly Codler. Back in 1968, this article came out and it says this, what does Dr. Spock think of young people today? Quote, I would be very proud, or I'd be proud if the idealism and militancy of youth today were caused by my book, end quote. I'd be delighted, end quote. So (laughs) he watches his book take a hold of an entire generation of rebellious youth and he's like yeah that's great they hate the vietnam war i hate the vietnam war they hate authority well i hated my mom's authority and 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 then later on in life you know we change and again don't judge somebody's legacy by what's going on in their life right now even he himself despaired of what america had become i bring you this 1994 newsweek article quote dr spock in despair this is four years before his death and the bio and the book says uh in his new book a better world for our children it is a jerry-made, albeit one written in Spock's characteristic tone of understated, understated reasonableness. The very generation raised by his precepts has let Dr. Spock down. Sexual openness has led to casual divorce and the coarsening of popular culture. Gender equality has meant that women compete for career advancement as ferociously as men so that neither parent has time for the children who spend all day watching TV and getting fat. Men don't wear neckties at the office. When I look at our society and I think of the millions of children exposed every day to its harmful effects, I am near despair He writes, yeah. So Dr. Benjamin Spock, I am not going to tell you that he is the only reason for why today's universities are undermining, and high schools, by the way, are undermining parental authority, but I can offer you the hypothesis that he had a huge part in it. He reshaped America as he knew it. And again, you have to think about this. Why did he come to these weird and crazy, like, far over here conclusions on how to parent, like leniency, reshaping the house for the sake of the wandering child, you know, making sure that you let them eat whatever they want to and if they want, whatever they want to cater to it because each child is an individual. Well, well, he only got to that end of the spectrum. Think about this because he was raised in a generation where it was way over here on the stilted, uh, very uh, hierarchical controlling spectrum as a parent. So, so, his philosophy in large part was reactionary to where he came from. And I had this thought again, back to whose voice should we be listening to? My thoughts as a pastor is simply this. Everyone telling you something is a failed sinner with a sin tainted mind. 
influenced by scores of other failed sinners with sin-tainted minds. Whoever you're listening to, do you understand that they are sinners? Do you understand that the reason why they believe what they believe is because other sinners influence them? Uh, you, you have to think about it. It's, it's a big philosophical pie to start digging into in your own mind. And it should, listen, it should lead us to this very important question. Who do you listen to first? Because I don't know about you, but I want my life to be successful. I want my children to be successful. I want my wife to be successful. And, and so the question is not, what cultural mantras am I embracing from my life right now? The question is, do I discern th those voices through the lens of a higher authority? And if only we could find a higher authority that is bigger and higher than human beings, where could we go for that higher authority? Oh, that's right, the Bible. <laughs> that's right. Cursed is the man who trusted man, right? But blessed is the man, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, Jeremiah 17. And I thought about this for you. Like, here's what, Pro here's what Psalms 128 says. Listen to this verse. Blessed is, the, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Listen to that. You have a fear, a respect for the Lord. And then you walk in his ways. Your view of God will determine the life that you lead. And then he says this. If you listen to the Lord and you fear the Lord, he says this. You shall eat the fruit of your labor. You shall be blessed. It shall be well with you. Verse 3. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And here's the fundamental fact. Here's the fundamental philosophy. You listen to whoever you fear. You listen, and I, this is a fact for you, whether you believe it or not, you've got to receive it. You're listening right now to whoever you fear. The question is, who do you fear? And what I, what I mean by fear is that you really put a lot of weight into that person's opinion. You put a lot of stock into what they say, whatever that group of they is for you. If it is a certain book, then you're going to fear that book and you're going to follow that book. Or if it's a neighbor, if it's a friend, or if it's a philosophy, or maybe like Dr. Spock, it's a reactionary kind of go all the way over to the other end of the spectrum because I don't want to be associated with those people who hurt me. So I want to go all the way over here to those people to this side where, where I'm sure they don't get hurt. But then what does life show you? But that people are flawed no matter where you go. People are flying no matter where you go. So my question is this, what voice do you fear in your life? Like the university voice says, listen to us, we are educated. The media voice says, listen to us, we are informed. The neighbor says, listen to us, we have this experience. And the entertainment voice says, listen to us, we are beautiful. You know, someday, very soon, I am going to do a whole segment on how entertainment shaped America. Like we're doing how Dr. Spock shaped America, but soon I am going to do a how entertainment shaped America. Uh, do you realize how much of America has been shaped by the laugh track? What's the laugh track? The laugh track is the fake laugh that they pump into comedies, sitcoms that America listened to for 40, 50 years in this country. When the humor may have not necessarily been expected or accepted by the live audience the live the laugh track so easy to plug in like you just say something and so that that philosophy the laugh track was pumped into entertainment to teach americans to laugh at something that they may have not been comfortable with and then you think about that when you train people to laugh at something they don't take it seriously anymore especially if it's true and important and then if you don't take it seriously anymore, well then, what's the big deal if I don't do it? Don't you see? The trajectory of America has been shaped by things, by influences 
by voices so so deep, so intricate, we, we don't even understand. This is why scripture commends us in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel, the voice of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law, the voice of the Lord. And on that voice, the law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water his, his, that yields his fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. And so this is the point, friend. You're going to go somewhere for parenting advice. You're going to go somewhere. Neighbors, universities, media, entertainment options. I don't know. What about if we actually did what Scripture says and feared the Lord? <laughs> like, put him first, listen to him. Like, biblical parenting. Let me, let me just take you through some points. And I've done this before, but I want to do it again. Like, biblical parenting, number one, understands that every child born is a fool. Every child born is dumb. Proverbs 22, 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs 29, 15. A child left to himself. A child left to himself, rearranging the furniture for the child, okay, brings shame to his mother. Number two, biblical parenting expects the child, no matter who they are, to be submissive and obedient to the parent's authority. In other words, you don't have to ask permission to be an authority over your children. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Jesus Christ himself. He was God in flesh, and he knew exactly who he was at the age of 12. And when they lose him at the temple, and they come and they find him. He says, don't you realize that I have to be about my father's business? And Mary and Joseph are like, no, this is not the time. And Luke 2, 51 says he went down with them and became submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in, his, in her heart. And then he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. But he did that by submitting to his parents' authority, even though he was God in flesh. Number three, biblical parenting practices strict and consistent discipline through clearly communicated boundaries and punishments. You got to draw the boundaries, then you got to enforce the boundaries. Really, and this is the problem. Parents either draw the boundaries or they don't enforce the boundaries. Parents either don't draw the boundaries or they don't enforce the boundaries. <clears throat> Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent. The word diligent is the key there. To discipline him. Or Proverbs 23, 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. Now, a lot of people say, oh, the rod of discipline, that's a measurement. Rod was a measurement. And it was a measurement. But notice what Proverbs 23, 13 says. If you strike him, corporal punishment, spanking, strike him, strike him with a rod, he will not die. Now, I'm not in favor of using tools to strike your children. I'm not. But... The Bible was, <laughs> and you know, some children, they just don't listen no matter what. And, and again, you got to be careful about this. And I have to be careful about this counseling you on how to discipline your children, because some of you have anger problems. You cannot just go explode in your children. But at the same time, if you do not enact some consistent and strict discipline, you will do your child harm in the long run. You, they will shame you. They will, they will destroy themselves. And if you love them, you will discipline them. And the number four point that I want to make here about biblical parenting is simply this. You've got to put in the effort to teach them about the Lord. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I think about how many parents don't know the Bible, and they don't know the Bible, and so they think, okay, I'm going to drop them off at a kid's camp or kid's church, and they're going to do it for me. No, you, fathers, mothers, you've got to teach your children. If you're a single dad, single mom, you've got to do the extra work. You've got to put in the time. And yes, Parenting is hard, and teaching your children about the, about the Lord is, is another exhausting effort that you have to put forward. But you have got to think about this. It is short-term pain for long-term prosperity. It is short-term pain. Put the effort up front in the beginning and watch it bless you in the end. I am wearing my Liberty University t-shirt. I am so proud of my daughter. She is now at Liberty as a junior, and I'm so glad to have her doing that. She is serving the Lord, following the Lord, fearing the Lord, and it is such a pleasure for my wife and I to have this now bird's eye view of seeing her life 
take root in the things of God and grow in the things of the Lord. Same thing with my older son and my youngest son to see them. But it took years. My friends, it took exhaustion. It took, it took effort to put this work in. The question is simply this. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Look, I know that the voices out there are abounding. And I, I go back to my original question. I hope that I'm worth listening to for you. Again, don't put it in the comments. I know I am. But nonetheless, the point is, is that you're going to shape your life by the voices that you choose to listen to today. The madness of the experts, the madness of our society that perhaps was greatly instigated by Dr. Benjamin's mock. It is now alarming. Which brings me to a deep end follow-up from last week on Boston Children's Hospital. Let's do that. The deep end follow-up. Now, if you were not here last week, we played uh, three videos last week. Uh, with They are now removed, but they were played last week. Not, not removed from my channel, but they were removed from Boston Children's Hospital's website. These three videos by three quote-unquote professionals um, who probably were raised on Dr. Benjamin Spock's advice are now telling you that your child can know they are transgender from birth, the woman on the far left over here, uh, what age they can get surgery, uh, age 15, uh, the woman in the middle, and how a life-altering hysterectomy, I'm sorry, the woman on the right, and how a life-altering hysterectomy is totally cool and cute for an 18-year-old girl experiencing gender dysphoria. That's the girl in the middle. The madness of the post-Spock generation is now holding all the power and sway in our cultural institutions. And, and all three of these people, and I didn't say this last week, but let me say it this week because I don't mind saying this thing, and some of you are going to get offended, but you should. Um, <clears throat> they all have something in common, don't they? All three of those professionals. <laughs> where are the men? No, seriously, where are the men? I, I have no problem women contributing to the cultural shaping of our country. I have no problem with that. But where are the men? Where? They're probably too afraid to step up and say something. Just like Adam in the garden was too afraid to step up and interrupt the serpent from misleading Eve. Anyway, that'll just get me on a digression to another extreme. <laughs> well, anyway, I exposed these videos to you online. Now it might be that I am under the threat of the Justice Department for sharing those videos with you because... Joe Biden's Department of Justice doesn't want people like me sharing videos like that because it might instigate you to go and shoot up Boston Children's Hospital. I bring you this report from Rolling Stone, that always reliable news source. <laughs> Rolling Stone, reliable news source. <laughs> I know, okay, anyway. Massachusetts U.S. attorney rebukes disturbing attacks on Boston Children's Hospital over trans health care. I love how it's always uh, disturbing attacks and then trans health care. No, it's not trans health care. It's actually child abuse to take a child and uh, destroy itself, destroy its body in the sake of for the sake of its feelings. So this is Rachel Rollins. She's a Massachusetts uh, lawyer, and she last week issued a statement condemning anyone who would threaten violence against Boston Children's Hospital. This article says since last week, the hospital has been inundated with harassing calls, harassing calls, I'm sure, emails and death threats. How do you kill a hospital, by the way? Honestly, give me a break. 
<laughs> ridiculous. Uh, death threats and several prominent conservative social media accounts shared videos and screenshots about the gender-affirming care the program provides. Libs of TikTok, for instance, shared a Boston Children's video about hysterectomies and falsely claimed that the trans healthcare program offers such procedures to young girls when patients must be 18 or younger. Okay, so what is young to you? <laughs> a young girl is 18. And by the way, one of the art, one of the videos, and we shared it last week, talks about that some of the surgeries are offered to 15-year-olds. So what? How? Where's the line where the child is now a young girl? Uh, Rollins released this statement. Let me put it here on the screen. Quote, today's news about alleged threats directed at Boston Children's Hospital Transgender Health Program is disturbing, to say the least. Children deserve an opportunity to thrive and grow as their authentic selves. Yada, 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 yada. Down towards the end, she says, while free speech is indeed the cornerstone of our great nation, fear, intimidation, and threats are not. I will not sit idly by and allow hate-based criminal activity to continue in our district. By the way, can we just get real about hate crime? Every crime is an act of hate. <laughs> Does anybody ever commit? I really have to ask this question. Does anybody ever commit a crime against somebody else because they love them? <laughs> like, I'm going to steal your car, but don't worry. I love you. <laughs> Uh, every crime is a hate crime, <laughs> but it's just kind of nice to see the justice department leaping into action in the face of just phone calls and emails because actual devastation was enacted against real pregnancy centers in our country after the reversal of Roe v. Wade. And instead of standing up for the pregnancy resource centers and condemning the violence, the department of justice actually smeared the pregnancy resource centers. I bring in this article from the Washington Brecon. DOJ official smears pregnancy centers amid wave of attacks. So this reads, the Department of Justice third ranking official has a history of calling crisis pregnancy centers, quote, fake clinics, a false and inflammatory description employed by terrorist groups that have recently attacked the pro-life organizations. Attor Associate Attorney General uh, Vanita Gupta deployed the rhetoric in a 2020 letter urging senators to vote against the Trump judicial nominee. Nearly 60 crisis centers which counsel women alternative abortion, alternatives to abortion have been firebombed or vandalized over the past two months. An anarchist group that has claimed responsibility for many of the attacks, Jane's Revenge, has used these same fake clinic, that's the quote, fake clinic rhetoric as Gupta. Of course, this is no surprise, ladies and gentlemen, and we should not be surprised when we see this kind of thing. If you remember, the sitting senator in Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren, slammed pregnancy resource centers as, quote, torturing pregnant mothers. No, no, no. Sitting senator in Massachusetts claims that pregnancy resource centers, which offer alternatives to abortion, such as, I don't know, not slicing and dicing the kid in the womb, not torturing the child. She considers advising women to not allow a surgeon to torture her child, torture. Bizarro world. Watch. In Massachusetts right now, those crisis pregnancy centers that are there to fool people who are looking for pregnancy termination help outnumber true abortion clinics by three to one. We need to shut them down here in Massachusetts and we need to shut them down all around the country. You should not be able to torture a pregnant person like that. Torture a pregnant person by advising them not to allow a surgeon to torture her infant child in her womb. And this is especially rich, coming from Elizabeth Warren, who once claimed that she was Native American and then had to apologize to the Native American community for falsifying those records. And then, while she was running for president in 2020, 
She claimed that she was fired from teaching decades ago for being pregnant. When documents and minutes confirming that she in fact resigned and that the school board accepted her resignation with regret. And then a video surfaced from 2007 where she openly states in an interview that she left the job because she needed to complete her advanced teaching degree before she went back to teaching. You see, friends, when you tell a generation of kids that they don't need strict rules, they throw out the rules about telling the truth, and then they lie to gain power. These are our leaders, and no, they are not who we should listen to about how we lead our homes as Christians. We need to pray for them as leaders. That's what 1 Timothy tells us. But they are not our advocates for how to raise our children and how to govern our lives privately and personally. They are jockeying for power. They are stained by sin. And they are liars in their hearts. Thankfully, one day, they will leave office. Which brings me to really good news. Really, really, really good. That's really good news. It's good. Okay, final segment here today. Really good news. Are you ready for it? Fauci is resigning. Yeah. 40 years too late. <laughs> Newsweek reporting Fauci resigning out of fear of GOP investigations and Republicans. Dr. Anthony Fauci says this, announced Monday that he will resign as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases after spending more than a half century in government, prompting Republican detractors to question his timing following his perceived double talk during the COVID-19 pandemic. This is America's longest, this is not the article, this is me speaking, this is America's longest-serving federal bureaucrat. Longest-serving federal bureaucrat. He is the highest-paid federal government employee with $10.4 million of net worth, according to Forbes. What a wonderful public servant. Uh, Rand Paul appropriately tweeted, Fauci's resignation will not prevent a full-throated investigation into the origins of the pandemic. He will be asked to testify under oath regarding any discussions he participated in concerning the lab leak. Uh, yeah, thank, thank God for uh, checks and balances. Hopefully that happens. I don't know. Um, and I just lied myself. I'm so sorry. Misled. Didn't lie. Misled. I said that that was the last segment. No, there is one more segment. We're going to do Pastor Recommends. How does that sound? I cannot, I cannot recommend this book enough. I mentioned it in passing last week. I'm going to do a full-throated endorsement today. And the segment that we're talking about right now, what I'm recommending, could be subtitled this. Conservative pastor proudly recommends book by a third-wave feminist and former Clinton advisor. Yes, I bring you The Bodies of Others by Naomi Wolf. I can't recommend this book enough. Naomi Wolf wrote this book. She got banned from Twitter for an interview based on the premises of, these, of, of this book and her findings. And these are the authors that I like to read, especially, and I do believe this, when they are diametrically opposed to my political bias. I, I do want to read those people. Uh, Naomi was a third-wave feminist, political advisor to Clinton and Al Gore, and she has written for The Nation, The New Republic, The Guardian, and The Huffington Post. If you go to her Wikipedia page, amazingly, this book is completely ignored as one of her works in the Wikipedia page, which again, just testifies to the falsification of Wikipedia. Uh, that's why you want to read this book, because of who she is and what she found out during the COVID pandemic, and how the bodies of others were considered as threats and told us to separate and mind our business and stay locked down. 
Now, I know, I know, I know. Some of you are like, oh, COVID still. Let's like, yeah, move on. But you've got to not forget. You've got to not let them cause you to forget what they did to you is very important because I think, and I've said this before, COVID was a test case for what the global governments can do with your life, such as lock you down in your home over the threat of a virus that you have a 99.7% chance of surviving if you get it. And she writes in chapter eight, the title of the chapter, Lockdown is Not Quarantine. She says, restrictions uh, irrevocably change the destiny of Native Americans, for example, formally freeing traveling, for, formally freely traveling and transacting Native American tribes were the victims of massive appropriation of lands and wealth almost unprecedented in Western history. How was it accomplished by the United States government locking them down, quote unquote, locking them down in res reservations, forbidding them to move freely, subjecting them to state restrictions on language, dress, currency, and culture? Uh, she talks about this book written by Laura Ingalls Wilder, The Prairie Fires, how the, 19, uh, the 1830 Indian Removal Act restricted uh, Choctaws, Creeks, Cherokees, Osages, and more to certain narrow strips of land. Endless restrictive legislation followed, separated from the rest of society by compulsion, tracked and monitored by the state. These once formidable and often wealthy nations were forced into defeat and compliance that destiny is restricted to this day. She's talking about the fact that, look, the way that you impoverish a people is by restricting their movement. Take, for instance, the case of the Native Americans. And then she talks about the story of uh, Jim Crow laws doing that for black people in financial exclusion. A chapter called The Jim Crow Experience, economist Robert E. Wright demonstrates that Jim Crow laws had discriminatory, discriminatory redlining, which restricted movement and assembly correlated directly to the economic harms for African-Americans in the United States, housing segregation and restrictions on movement and commerce imposed on African-Americans created a self-fulfilling prophecy that limited their ability to profit from ownership of real estate. Wright describes how the great migration northwards to a less restricted cultural context allowed for immediate improvement to those African-Americans' economic success. Uh, the Pity of It All and a bookstore in Berlin both detail how restrictions on the mobility and assembly of Jews in Germany and in Vichy, France, respectively, led to the curtailment of their economic strength, strength and prepared the way for eventual transfer or draining of their assets. And what she is saying, very simply, as I said before, is that the government restricts the people it wishes to impoverish. Think about the people in the system, in the Section 8 housing, the people who are dependent upon the governmental welfare checks and the, and the WIC cards and all that kind of stuff. They are dependent and they're immobilized. They were mobilized by the government controlling them and leveraging their control over them. And why? Ladies and gentlemen, ask this question. Why does the government want to control you? Because Americans are proving that they cannot control themselves because they were taught for the last 70 to 80 years that they shouldn't have any restrictions. They shouldn't be controlled. They shouldn't have any rules. They should just be following their hearts and what their feelings tell them. And lenient parents and permissive agenda-driven education and university systems in a boundary-less environment are demanding that the government start to take the control that you forfeited for yourself. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I close with this. Our Constitution, the, the Constitution of the United States, was not written for a secular, godless people. James Adams observed in a letter to the Massachusetts militia, October 1798, quote, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And my friends, that is as true as it gets. If you do not take control of your life, if you do not practice personal responsibility, if you do not ask that the Holy Spirit give you the fruit of self-control, someone's going to get your control. And if you listen to the voices of this world without discerning them through the lens of Scripture, 
you might be inadvertently surrendering control of your life to the control of others. Let that not be the case for you. That's why I do this channel. And I hope in closing that this channel and my voice was worth listening to. <laughs> and if it's that worth listening to, would you consider supporting the channel? The Cash App is there. It's very easy. Drop some money in, help us spread the word and get the advertisement out. We are spreading the word throughout the southern states of the United States now. I'm so excited. And make sure that you check out either the Cash App or timhashlive.com slash support. The Deep Dive with Tim. Oh my gosh, ladies and gentlemen, it could be coming back tomorrow. So pay attention to your phone. Yes, it could be. I'm not making a definite decision right now. No, 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 no. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell you to make sure that you like the video, to make sure that you subscribe, to make sure that you hit that notification bell so that your smartphone tomorrow, your smartphone tomorrow can tell you if we go live with the deep dive. It has been an absolute pleasure to be with you guys tonight. I look forward to seeing you maybe tomorrow. Click that notification bell on the deep end. God bless you and good night. If you haven't been offended by this episode of The Deep End, consider supporting us today. If you have been offended, get a grip and join us next week for the next episode of The Deep End on Tim Hatch Live.